Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Offscreen, a GM podcast. Offscreen is a series where I interview game masters of various actual plays to discuss the differences between running a home game and running an actual play. Today, I have with me Dane Miller. Thank you so much for being with me, Dane Miller. Thanks for having me. Dane is the GM of No Quest for the Wicked, a story-driven actual play using Paizo's sci-fi space opera system, Starfinder, in a homebrew setting. No Quest for the Wicked received three Audioverse Awards for Best Player Direction, Player, and New Improvised Show, as well as just recently winning the Best Villain at the Crit Awards. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's one of the coolest awards that we could have hoped. When we when we got nominated for it, we were like, oh, this is the one that we want to win. This is... <laughs> oh, yeah, the Best Villain? Who doesn't love having a good villain? Yeah, I mean, that's like, I, you think about it, it's like pretty much every great piece of media like the villain makes or breaks it in Absolutely. my opinion like you can't have a good story without a good villain so that was that was very uh vindicating for me yeah no the antagonist like the conflict is the central engine of a story so like when you can yeah. make that character real juicy mm-hmm. yeah that's the best especially because like uh, our villain at least the one that won he's he's very sparing like he's not in it a whole lot so it's nice to know mm. that like the bits that he has shown up have have made a moment and like an impact on people yeah, the Darth Vader approach. They're like yeah. looming over a bit. Space opera. Makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, the first question I ask every guest I have on this show is why do you run games? So I come from a film background. Uh, I went to school for acting. And then when I graduated, there was much like what's happening now. There was a writer strike in America and there was an actor strike in Canada where I'm from. And so when I I left college with all of my new acting knowledge and there was just nothing being made. Uh, So I ended up getting into production and writing and making my own stuff with all of the actors that I had just worked and met with, like through college. Uh, And I was like, cool, we're all hungry. We all need work and we all need stuff for our reels. So let's make stuff. The problem with that is uh, making movies is very expensive. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially if you want to do the shit that I want to do, which is like sci-fi and uh, fantasy and adventure and stuff like that. You need money to do that. Um, So it's nice. When I first got introduced into TTRPGs, I was like, oh, I I don't have a budget for this and I don't need one. Like as long as I can use the right words and maybe the right music, I can transport people into a world that doesn't require CGI or, you know, props and effects and all that stuff. You don't need to have a saber effect on Premiere for yes. After Effects, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, I I can run a, a space chase through a space station on a highway. You know what I mean? Like, I can do that. I don't have to worry about whether it's going to look good or whether it's going to break the budget or anything. It's like, no, if I can think of it and I can get my players to invest in it, it's, it's going to work. Absolutely. I guess kind of going off the rails a little bit before I ask my next question is uh, what drew you to sci-fi specifically? Like why, what about sci-fi as a genre like calls to you as a creative? It's funny because I actually, sci-fi is a new thing for me. Like I've always, I've always enjoyed sci-fi, but I've always been far more into fantasy, especially like modern fantasy where Mm. it's like, oh, it's the real world, but with like a twist. Because like I grew up, like my dad was a huge Star Wars fan and a Star Trek fan, and I never really invested in those that much like Mm. i enjoyed them i think i've maybe like seen like three full episodes of star trek in my whole life um but it wasn't until i came across things like uh firefly that really got me in when you start blending 
genres because that's like a space western right like mm-hmm. you you take a, a genre and you're just like hey here's a familiar thing but it's in space and we're gonna twist it and we're gonna add aliens we're gonna add sci-fi elements to it and that's when i was like oh cool so like science fantasy exists so i can mm-hmm. use all my favorite parts of fantasy and i can pull in like the possibilities of you know space travel and you know finding aliens and going to new planets and stuff like that so it's like this is this is like the best of all the worlds yeah, it's that kind of like exploratory, exploratory element that like yeah. kind of inspires all that little like child like, oh my god, this is yeah. so cool. And like, who didn't want like I I feel like everyone at some point in time was like, I want to be an astronaut because space is like I feel like it's hard not to be enamored and intrigued by like the infinite void of space because like it could be anything and anything that we come up with, there's a very good chance that something is like that might exist out there because it is so so unknown. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. No, thank you for answering that. I definitely, I've had a similar relationship with sci-fi as like going from fantasy into sci-fi and like recognizing the value of it over time. So I really, I really appreciate that. So my second like consistent question that I ask is, what do you believe is the job of the game master, both at home and on an actual play? Oh, okay, that's good. I like that. <laughs> um, I think it's, first and foremost, it's facilitating fun, mm-hmm. right? I, I strongly, strongly believe, and I tell this to everyone, anytime I, like, talk to people, uh, especially people who are not, like, in the nerd, you know, hemisphere, mm-hmm. um, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I play, like, I always just say play D&D because no one ever knows what the hell anything else is. Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of like, they roll their eyes. I'm like, I promise you, if you had the right group, I strongly believe that everyone in the world would enjoy playing a TTRPG of some sort if they play with the right people. Absolutely. Because I know like, you know, anytime you're on Reddit or whatever, you read like these horror stories of like, gms or players being absolutely horrible and thankfully like when i got into it i was playing the reason we started we were getting into our 30s and it was harder to hang out and Mm -hmm. so we were like we need something to do every week to like keep being friends essentially Mm -hmm. yeah so like we when we first started every monday night we got together and we had dinner together and we played pathfinder that's so nice and it was great It, it holds a special you know part of me and so i learned very early on that like nothing really like you can prepare all you want you can have the best story you can have the best npc voices and all that but if your players aren't having fun like if you and like if everyone isn't having fun then there's no point to um so i think gm first and foremost and i think this goes across like home games actual plays whatever if if people aren't having fun there's no point because if you're playing a home game and no one's having fun it's like why are you here like why are you doing it and if you're on an actual play and no one's having fun, people are going to hear that and not be invested, right? Like if, if you can't get your players to invest, why would anyone take, you know, an hour or whatever to listen to an episode of people not having fun when there are so many great shows out there where people are having fun? Yeah, I, I keep coming back to that. This is the third episode that I've done and recorded and keep coming, it keeps coming back to this idea of like, you need to have fun because like, yeah. yeah, you can have the best technical skills. You can have the most talented people, but if you're not feeling it, that spark that people listen to actual plays and play TTRPGs for, if that's not there, no one cares. Yeah. That's why I always like, whenever I'm trying to like, other than promoting my own show, um, 
I always tell people to listen to like not another D and D podcast. I think mm. that's one of the best examples of a really successful show where you can tell that they're having a fucking blast playing it. Um, and you can tell that like, they are actually friends. They're not just doing it because like we can make a podcast and make money or whatever. Um, which I don't think anyone's ever said. Uh, <laughs> uh yes. You know, podcast, a traditionally the, financially sound yeah, idea, the lucrative business of TTRPG podcast. That's like, whenever, like I talk about like the big shows, like I would send people more in that direction than I would ever send them in towards like critical role. Cause I feel like critical mm -hmm. role is like, it's such a, a huge undertaking to just listen to one, like four hour episode. Whereas you could listen to like the, you know, hour and a half or whatever the other shows are. And it's people having the best time with their friends. I think that's the thing. What like old school original critical role did really, really well is like, it was just a recording of a bunch of friends playing yeah. around the table and that joy was palpable. And that's what like kickstarted this whole actual play movement. Yeah. It was, I would say it was probably that. And then like, uh, adventure zone were probably like the two that really got everyone going like once people realized that like oh a bunch of idiots who could like just started this as a joke ended up making so many people cry by the end of that including themselves it's like that's kind of the beauty of ttrpgs like you start these campaigns like the the most recent one that we did in our home campaign was we were playing through paizo's return of the rune lords and my character concept was just like I was a failed Gordon Ramsay esque like celebrity <laughs> chef who uh, ended up like sleeping with a noble's daughter and then got banished from the town. And then so now I'm just like in this backwater like town in an inn cooking and just like giving up on life. And that was like, I was like, that's it. That's as far as I'm going. And by the end of it, we were like so heavily invested in all of our characters and like all these stupid character concepts we came up with are now just like, we were in it. We were so mm -hmm. in it. And like, that's, that's the beauty of it is like you start so innocent, especially if you're like fairly new, you start with these like really basic or dumb ideas. And then by <laughs> the end of it, you're like, I am this person. Mm -hmm. Do you find that getting that commitment at a home game versus an actual play is different? Do you find that the level of investment that people have is different? Yeah. Because I mean, like when you're on an actual play, it's your job, right? Like it's, it's the difference between, I always like to compare it like if you're a musician, you don't play your guitar at home the same way you do on stage, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a there's a huge difference between performing and playing, and I think a good actual play finds a balance between the two of like the the joy of the play and also the professionalism of of being like oh this is work in homebrewing these settings. What level of collaboration? do you go into making the world and making the characters with the players at a home game versus an actual play? Like, is there a more collaborative element in one? Is there more of a railroad in another? What does that look like for you? I, I think I approach it more or less the same. I think there's a little, I think I actually give or, or put a lot more effort in uh, constructing things by myself in a home game, just because I know that like we talked about, there's going to be less uh, focused engagement so I want to make sure there's a lot more, a little bit more bones mm. uh, on on the, you know, whatever we're, we're doing. For the actual play and like for our show, I gave the guys an outline of the the planets in the, the system and a rough idea of like what they're about in terms of like, that's the ice planet. And that's like more or less like all they got on one planet. It's like, that's the, the fiery planet that has a prison on it. 
And so I kept it really basic because I didn't really know what we would need when we got to those planets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I strongly believe, especially with homebrewing, I think the big problem a lot of people have when they homebrew, especially when they're like new to homebrewing, is they write like novels of stuff. And it's like they know every cobblestone on the street and they know every brick in every building. And then when a player is like, oh, I want to do this, like, oh, well, and that's not there. <laughs> right like and you you've people get so rigid in like all this detail that ends up never serving the campaign or the players or the fun so whenever i like introduce people especially in a home game i don't do it so much in the actual play because uh we're on a time limit and we kind of have to keep moving the story forward but whenever i do something like that in a home game the first thing i always do whenever they get to a new city is what do you guys want to do and whatever they say, yep. You want to go to fighting pit? Absolutely. If it, even if it's like you're in like a, a super ritzy, like high noble town, yeah, it might be a little harder to find an underground fighting pit. But it's gonna be there. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you succeed your checks, your your knowledge local or whatever checks, yeah, you'll find it. Because then like now they're where they want to be and they give a shit. Mm-hmm. Because if you just like say, nope, actually it's just one bar where your quest is. It's like, get in there. And then like, okay, well then I guess we're going to go talk to the shadowy guy in the back of the bar drinking by himself. Cool. (laughs) So it's like, you just like, I let players tell me what the story is. Like, I know where I need to get them and I know what the the, the quest hook is. But if they want to get it off of, you know, the weird librarian that they (laughs) go in, like, sure, I don't care who gives them the quest or who guides them in the right way. As long as you're going that way, I don't care. But like, yeah, if you want to spend a couple minutes doing something weird somewhere that I didn't think about, yeah, do it. I really love that. And I really, uh, I think that makes a really interesting point about like preparation and leaning too much on preparation versus improvising and kind of reacting to what your players give you when you're prepping out these quest hooks and these characters. How much of a personality do you give to these characters? Do you just have like a list or do you just have this in the back of your mind like, all right, whoever they show up, I'm just going to throw something there and you have your back catalog from all of the media you've consumed. Like, where is the the line there? If it's going to be a, like, plot-centric character, I put a little bit more effort into the the role they're going to play. Um, but if they're just, like, like I said, if they're just dicking around and, like, going to places and, like, checking out places, because there are times, like, uh, there's been a, a number of times where they've had to, like, investigate stuff in the show, mm-hmm. And they might come up with a a lead that they want to investigate that I never would have thought of. Mm. And I've got to come up with an NPC on the fly. And I find that I, I find the best way to come up with an NPC on the fly is to wait for their first interaction and see how wild they are with that interaction. Like if they kick in the door and they accuse a dude of being hostile, I feel like you have two ways of going. You can either be like, Hey, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. Relax. Or, be so scared and play really timid and like just spill information out. Mm. Um, and I feel like you, I, I wait for their approach before I determine how that character is going to react because I find it gives me an opportunity to play into or against what they're doing. Yeah. Because I feel like if I've, if I've already come up with an idea for a character, then what they do or how they start the interaction doesn't really matter. Mm. And I want those things to matter. Yeah. 
I guess with with characters also when it comes to uh, how do you when making these characters kind of on the fly tie them back into the main narrative when they are kind of like that essential character that you didn't expect like the librarian who they get the quest hook from who maybe becomes a favorite NPC what does that process look like maybe even after the episode when you're like oh this person's going to become recurring now those are the like, those are my favorite moments so like, those are the the moments that make GMing really really fun because it's like oh okay you've you guys have given me a gift of a character that you care about and mm-hmm. and i find that like you talk to any gm and you'll know that like that character that blacksmith dwarf with like the you know tragic backstory and pages and pages of lore they're going to talk to him for like 4 seconds and then be like oh there's a gnome over there who's like sweeping the floor that you make a silly voice for because you didn't really expect <laughs> them to talk to him and now like that's the guy they care about and you're like great cool you've done all the heavy lifting for me because now you have a character that you're invested in i what else can i ask for it's like it's so hard to get people to like give a shit about characters so if if you're gonna latch on to something yeah you better believe i'm gonna bring them back i'm gonna like they're gonna be a, a main part and it's it's such a beautiful gift from a player to a gm to latch on to an npc because then you're like, great, I you guys now have emotional stakes in a character, so if you guys aren't taking the, the quest bait, uh-oh, librarian got kidnapped, <laughs> or librarian has fallen ill, or, you know, she's starting to have visions, or, you know what I mean? It's like, now you might have a, a better uh, motivation to go do whatever you're avoiding doing, because the character that you've told me you care about is now feeling repercussions of it. That is the benefit of being God. You're like, oh, I actually get to decide where this ties back now. Yeah, and if you give me, if you tell me you care about a character, you better believe I'm going to do something good or bad to that character. Something. Something that's going to make you care. Yeah, something's going to happen to that character. So you were mentioning before about pacing, especially like with your show, you have very consumable, like one hour, hour and a half long episodes. Yeah. How do you, as opposed to at a home game where home games can run anywhere from three hours to i've been in 12 hour long sessions before (laughs) how do you as the gm manage that pacing for an actual play versus a home game like what does that look like the deft hand of pacing it's it's tough it's one of the things that i find the most difficult for a show because we like to also leave it on a cliffhanger every episode um unless it's sort of like the end of an arc where we can sort of like button it with like a nice moment of being like, oh, here's some resolution and and what we're looking for going like into the next arc or whatever. I try to always leave it on a like a big moment. Uh, so trying to, I try to work backwards. I try to figure out where I want the episode to end and the best way uh, to sort of like get them there. And then I work backwards and I cut and add as i need so i always have like an extra encounter where if they're just blasting through everything i can throw an encounter in Mm. to to pad it out um but then i also have things like like i have an encounter in that isn't sort of like really plot essential i can just take it out Mm. And 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 no one will ever know because it's it's not no one's gonna be like oh it's weird they didn't fight the big monster that was just it's weird that he just kind of like went to sleep or wandered away (laughs) um so i try to i try to like work backwards and then um i try not to over prep as well 
So I have I have the beats of sort of like roughly where they need to be at like the 30 minute mark and at the 45 minute mark and at the hour mark. This is roughly where they need to be in order for me to get where I'm trying to go. Um, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't like really early on in the show. I had a like a car chase that was meant to be like a couple skill checks, like a couple dice rolls and like, yeah, you did it. And they just beefed it so hard. Like every roll was so bad and they were making stupid decisions. And this like essentially supposed to be maybe like 15, 20 minute sequence ended up taking up the rest of the episode and like half of the next episode. But in my opinion, it's one of the best parts of the show. It's like one of my favorite scenes in the show. And it happened really early on. And I was really happy with it because I was like, oh, this is a great sort of like flavor of what you're going to get in this show of I'm going to let their dice ride or dice rolls ride. I'm not mm. going to be like, Oh, well you're okay. It's like, no, if you beef it, you're, you're going to have to deal with those consequences and I'm not going to flub whether or not you succeed or not. I, I really also like the idea of working backwards. I, I haven't actually ever heard anyone say that they prep sessions like that before. And that makes a lot of sense, especially coming from a writing background. Uh, yeah. Like, definitely whenever i hear people work on scripts or work on novels or short stories they're like i have this idea of where this ends and working backwards from that you get this realize this revelation of like oh this is what's going to be important to get to that point yeah. and bringing that into the actual play space makes a lot of sense yeah i mean because also like when you're playing a home game is especially if you're playing like in person or with maps and you're not doing theater of the mind if you're in a dungeon and you realize that you're in like, you've only made it like four rooms in and there's still, you know, a whole swath of stuff that you haven't discovered. And you're like, oh, wait, we're at the boss right now. Like, <laughs> that's weird. But when we're doing theater of the mind, like the guys don't know how big the facility they're in or the space station they're in. So like, they don't know that the boss isn't right there. And all I have mm -hmm. to do is sort of like tailor the next room they walk into is big and scary or, you know, they've come across a, a big ornate gate. And it's like, oh, great. Okay, we've come somewhere important. And, like, they have no idea that I had, you know, four or five more rooms or challenges planned. They don't know. Yeah, I think that also speaks to the ability of flexibility and something that actual play does, maybe not better, but differently than home games. In yeah. that, like, you have so much more control as the game master to make the world flexible. And I think that's really interesting. Especially with a genre like sci-fi there's a specific tone that you kind of want to evoke with a space opera, but definitely with an actual play, it's a bit of a lighter tone than maybe you would be able to get into at a home game or, or a heavier tone rather than you'd be able to get into a home game because, yeah. or actually that's a great question. Do you find that the tone is different uh, at a home game versus an actual play because it's a safer space not being observed at home? I, I would say the opposite. I think, I think in the actual play, there have been some moments, especially so the, the episode that's coming out, next week as of when we're recording this uh we actually recorded in person it was the first time we ever played in person for the show because one of our guys is in halifax mm. um so we always record remotely um like it gets emotional and and like one of our i like i almost got one of our players like on the verge of tears at one point and i don't know if i've ever gotten there in a home game because i don't know if we've ever sort of like dropped into performance as much right like it's it's a lot more play and a lot less performance and when you're performing and when you're really sort of like in it it's easier to be affected by it and like so we've had some like really as as fun as the show is and as much 
we do keep it light and it is like a for the most part like a a fun action adventure show um there's there's a lot of like heavy moments that the guys and i'm really really impressed with and i'm really proud of the guys for like committing to um and i've i've been blown away especially because like only one of them only ryan really comes from a performance background uh niall and terry don't really have a, a theater or acting background and the things they've done and and have trusted me with um has been really really nice and and, and really and I'm, I'm so proud of them for for what they've sort of committed to in in their characters how do you build that trust when you're going to be making something for production as opposed to like you have a, a level of trust at a home game where you're like, oh, we're all friends. We're getting together because we're friends. Yeah. That transfers over a bit into an actual play. But how do you build that trust before you start recording? Um, session zeros are a huge thing, right? Like going through uh, what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with. Um, I remember like one of the questions I, I like to ask is like, are you cool with romance? Because some people like some people just don't want to do like it's mm -hmm. weird they don't want to role play romance with their friend, um, and like that's a hundred percent valid and I'm mm -hmm. cool with it. And I remember doing it and I remember Terry being like, "I'm okay with romance," and I was like, "All right, Terry." <laughs> so, so I threw uh, I threw this like originally it was supposed to be just this uh, sort of like woman on the space station who kind of had like a little crush on him, and uh, he threw me a curveball and at one point in time like after this like kind of awkward sort of conversation they have of like her being like kind of flirty and him being kind of dismissive and like uncomfortable uh one of the other characters was like oh who's that and he was just like oh that's my ex and i was like okay terry sure Brilliant. Great. yeah Brilliant. and it's like that wasn't something that we disguided that wasn't something we like talked about so with like one improv line that character becomes so much more important and originally she was just supposed to be in that one arc and now she's in the whole show like she's a recurring character that means something to him all because of that one line and so i think it's it's a combination of like them trusting me as much as i trust them um and it's like it's it's that really really nice give and take of being like oh, okay you're giving me that gift so i'm gonna give it when it when it matters i'm gonna give it back and I, I think it's a combination of like session zero for sure. Figure out what people are cool with, figure out what they're comfortable with, what's off limits, what's what they want to explore. Um, Cause again, one of our other characters, Ryan, who plays Merrick um, has like a, a romantic and sexual relationship with a uh, fairly pivotal character. I don't want to be give any spoilers away, but he has like a, he has a, a pretty intense relationship with a, a, a character that is, very very important to the plot and i'm glad that he has like he trusted me with that because it adds so much to both of their characters where i i have so much to play with and the audience gets like treats every time what like how how involved they actually are is revealed mm. um so that's that was something that i i've really enjoyed as well I love that. Yeah, I love the idea of trust needing to go both ways, that, like, the yeah. GM is just as much of this collaborative relationship as the players. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of rounding out, because we're nearing the end of our conversation here, I wanted to ask you the final question that I ask every GM that I bring on. What advice would you give to someone who wants to start DMing at home or moving from home into actual play? If you want to move into actual play... 
I would say invest in your gear. Mm. Uh, the the better things sound, the more likely people are going to listen. There's a lot of actual plays out there, and there's a lot of good actual plays out there. And if you're going to be throwing your hat in the ring, you need to be operating at like the highest level you possibly can, mm-hmm. and you need to to take like editing very seriously. I, I think those are those are the things. Like you need to think of it um, no longer as a game, but as a piece of media that is being consumed. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's it's one thing to be playing lightsabers with your friends with you know wrapping paper tubes, and then going on a green screen stage and being you know Ian McGregor swinging a sword. Right? Like like you you need to sort of like take on that persona, being like, oh, I'm a professional now, producing something that will be consumed, hopefully by a lot of people. And it needs to be the best product that I can put out while still somehow maintaining the magic of your home game. If you're not willing to do that, if you think it's going to be as easy as like sitting down and then like playing a game for two hours and then putting that up raw. I don't think that's, I I think you're going to have a a very disheartening experience, but if you're looking to like, just get into DMing, I think the, the best thing to do is make sure that you are playing with people Especially for a first time, I don't think going to like a game store or uh, a, like a convention space or something, because I, I find people that you feel comfortable with, find people that you feel safe with, because no matter how I'm an extrovert, I will perform and do whatever. But there's a there's a level of nervousness of like sitting down and being like, oh, I'm going to be a, you know, a half elf rogue for the next little bit and i have to like pretend like i'm not me it's a weird thing to do with your friends Mm -hmm. uh for the first time and then to be like oh i'm gonna do that but literally every other character as the dm (laughs) and be like i'm gonna be the damsel in distress i'm gonna be the small child i'm gonna be the goblin i'm gonna be the orc i'm gonna be the like old mare and it's like that's a lot of hats to put on and it's it elevates the experience so much if you commit to it and i'm not saying you have to do voices like i you're you're not Matt Mercer, you're not Brendan Lee Mulligan. So I don't think like don't hold yourself to those like standards. I think I think like going in and being like I'm going to you know break them or I'm going to make them cry or I'm going to do like I think that's just going in like like I said like we were talking about before fun. That's that's what you want. Your first session needs to be fun because at the end there's nothing there's like that it's almost like sub drop, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. after you finish jamming be like, "Hey, that was shit." <laughs> and I did a terrible job. Uh, and it's like, I feel that pretty much every time after the show being like, ah, oh, I, I like, I missed this opportunity and did that and that. But then, you know, you talk to your buddies for the next like two minutes and they're like, that was awesome. This was such a cool part. That was such a cool part. And, blah, blah, blah. and then you're like, Oh, okay. So they don't think about any of the things that I missed. Mm-hmm. All they're thinking about is the cool shit they got to do that. They wouldn't have been able to do if I wasn't moving the pieces around. So I think that's, the really important thing about DMing is is finding your group and your people, mm-hmm. wherever that may be. Find your people wherever you can and however you can. Um, just make sure you're playing with the right people. And if the first session doesn't go great, don't feel like you have to stick with it. If it's like a toxic or if it doesn't serve you, move on and try again. Don't give up. Don't think that's how it's going to be forever. Mm-hmm. I think those are the the big things that you need to focus on. Yeah, I think that was beautiful. I really appreciate that answer. Um, where can people find NoQuest and where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so I am uh, 
the Daniac at the Daniac on uh, Twitter. That's uh, D A I N I A C. Um, and then for No Quest, you can find us like any podcasting app. Uh, no Quest for the Wicked. Uh, you can also find us at No Quest Cast on pretty much every social media and NoQuestCast.com for links to everything. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dane. This was awesome. Thank you for having me.